Anything else before we get started? No, all good. All right. There might be random doorbell ringings, dogs barking, and uh, lots of noise on this end, for which I apologize in advance. There's nothing I can do about it. So, Well, the, uh, the editing enough. is the scariest part of this <laughs> Halloween. Greetings, <laughs> Dr. Beckett. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast. Hi, this is Caitlin Bassett, and you are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. In 1995, theorizing that one could time travel within their own lifetime, Dr. Sam Beckett stepped into the quantum leap accelerator and vanished. After years of attempting to bring him home, the project was abandoned. Until now. Dr. Bensong risked everything when he used the quantum leap accelerator to travel back in time. Now our team's working to find out why. As he leaps between bodies with no memory of who he is... He still has one hope, that his next leap takes him back to the place and people he calls home. You are listening to the Quantum Leap Podcast. This is episode 121, O Ye of Little Faith. I'm afraid it's gotten worse. Please, come in. Thank you for traveling all the way from Baltimore. We tried a local priest, but he didn't have your reputation. I'm Lola, Daisy's mother, our maid, Magda. Everyone else is in the parlor. Oh. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Nice costume. This way, please, Father. Okay. Not a costume. Contessa Gray, welcome to my home. I'm sorry you have to visit it under such unfavorable circumstances. Mm. Ziggy says that there is an 89% chance that you are here to perform an exorcism. What? That cannot be right. Exorcism? Yes, hey, keep your voice down. All right. In the original history, Father James Davenport attempted an exorcism on Daisy Gray. After what the Covington Gazette described as a holy battle, the priest failed. Daisy died six minutes after midnight. That's what you're here to change. Okay, well, but exorcisms aren't real. And even if they were, I'm not religious. I don't believe in possession. Ben, you are literally possessing that guy's body right now. It's an angel. Send here to save me. Welcome to the Quantum Leap Podcast, everyone. I'm Christopher DeFilippis. I'm Alison Pregler. Ah. Ooh, and I'm Matt Dale. <laughs> and I didn't do a scary voice. Was kind of, I was kind of doing Dracula again. How many times can we get a Dracula voice in this <laughs> podcast? I feel like it's a go-to. You know, Blood yeah. Moon sets a certain bar, and you have to meet yes. that bar occasionally, especially when it comes to spooky times like, like now. 
Oh man, we can't have more perfect timing here. This is a Halloween episode airing on Halloween, and we are recording this podcast Halloween night. Ooh. Wow. Spooky times. That's right. So yeah, today we are reviewing season one, episode seven, Oh Ye of Little Faith, and it will be known as the new Halloween episode. And we will also be bringing you an interview with the mom in this episode, Elise Levesque, who played Lola Gray. She was spooky. Everything in this episode is spooky. Spooky. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Matt, you spoke to Elise with Albie, right? Yeah, she was an absolute delight. And she shared a ghost story with us as well, just to get us in the mood. So... uh, yeah, Ooh. that's going to be a fun interview to listen to. Hot down. So stay Prepare tuned for that. Scared. After the break, we'll be bringing you that interview with Elise and some good old Halloween flavor, a ghost story. huh? So this is um, kind of a ghost story on uh, Quantum Leap, as, as close as we've gotten since the Portrait for Troyan, I'm thinking. We did see some kind of apparition. Uh, I th- you are, this is Blood Moon Erasure. <laughs> there was no ghost in Blood Moon. <laughs> there was a ghost of dignity. <laughs> harsh harsh but fair take that Tommy Thompson (laughs) sorry Tommy (laughs) well Allison since I know that you've been waiting for this forever you are the queen of Halloween you just love all of this stuff you love the trappings we have to ask does this pass the Allison Pregler Halloween smell test oh yeah it's passed with flying colors Halloween, baby! (laughs) This was fun. This episode made absolutely no sense, but it was fun. I had a good time. (laughs) How about you, Matt? Yeah. Um, yeah. (laughs) Like a little British boy over here, not into the Halloween, eh? I I loved a lot of it. Uh, I love the stuff that really lent into Halloween. There's some issues I have with it sometimes wimping out a little bit, but we'll get onto that. Generally, though, I I loved a lot of the the truly spooky parts. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that this lives up to all of the previous Quantum Leap Supernatural episodes to me. I am thoroughly entertained and thoroughly confused. Yeah. And yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, I loved every bit of it, but I'm still sitting here saying, huh, does that fit with Mm. what? Oh, uh, yeah. Oh. No, none of it holds up under any scrutiny. <laughs> this is true quantum leap supernatural <laughs> writing. <laughs> but, but, and I mean, we're, let's just go straight for it. True quantum leap, at least original series, supernatural writing usually ends with an element of, and yes, the spooky stuff is real. This episode was great for me until two-thirds of the way through. It turned out, yeah, there's a dubious scientific explanation behind it. There is kind of, but there are things that don't make sense unless there is some sort of spooky thing going on. And I I found it weird that they didn't acknowledge that. I did think it it felt like they could have used a little more like, maybe the spooky dooky thing did happen. Who knows? Yeah, I I was waiting for that. On several occasions as well. And not just in The Leap either. Like in the, the project stuff at the start when Addison comes out and she, she doesn't know where Ian is and then turns out that they're wearing the, the, the little ears and that's really cute, but the, there's no reason for it. And then they've got that de- demonic laugh or, or whatever. They, I can't remember what they say. I can't remember what the line is now. But um, 
it all looks like it's building towards something. And I was hoping that maybe the project stuff isn't real and it's actually all just in Addison's head. Yeah. It's all just thrown away for, oh yeah, basically um, there's uh, um, Ben is in the past hallucinating and not much is happening at the project. Yeah, well, you know, it was so it, close to being perfect. I I loved so much of it, but um, well, you know why the cat ear thing happened? It's because of Sandman. It's a reference to Sandman. It's because uh, Mason Alexander Park uh, plays Desire in Sandman, and they wear cat ears in that role. That's really okay. the only reason. I kind of wish it had been like they'd integrated it a little more into why that they're doing it now, just to be like, oh, it's Halloween. I thought maybe this would be. You know, something I would do. Yeah. I don't know. Just some other thing than just, eh? Get it? Sandman? I thought it was evocative of uh, Al's horns in Boogeyman. Maybe, generously. Yeah, but that's not hint. That was hinting at something. The cat ears weren't hinting at anything. It was just because of emergencies or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Are you wearing cat ears? What? I, I keep them in my desk. In case of emergencies. Yeah, that was the the biggest cringe moment in in the episode. I will not uh, pull any punches there. Stop writing crap like that. Oh my god, I'm D- still embarrassed you- <laughs> for you. You didn't like the emergency. <laughs> I wouldn't I love mind that. I wouldn't mind it if the show would stop taking the project stuff so damn seriously. Because like, if they're just doing yeah. stuff like this, it, it, because they try to make it seem like maybe they're a real project in the real world. Be- when they do things like that, it makes me think like you're completely unprofessional idiots. <laughs> like, why are you doing this? Why are you dressing like this? Why are you acting like this? Like, I just don't. And this goes for everyone, not just Ian. But like, you know, I. Uh, I don't know. I don't really understand that. But um, yeah, I, I agree with what Matt is saying in that, like, uh, and I'm loath to use this term, but I will for the podcast's sake. It could have been more of a mind cuss. Um, <laughs> yes. I hate, the, yes, I hate the stupid right, cuss instead of cuss or whatever. But you know what I'm saying? Like, this could have been more of, a, of an effed up situation. Uh, and it felt like tonally they were kind of all over the place. Like, it kept going there and then pulling back and then it was like it it felt like they should have built up to more of a like big scary moment until the reveal you know like they could have like things are getting scarier and scarier and reality is shifting and they could have incorporated the you know that the fact that he was drugged to maybe like you know he's starting to hallucinate more and then more effed up stuff is happening they could have done that but it it's kind of jumbled because like, um, there's the part where he's he's really, like, in it, in the middle of this hallucination. He's seeing all of this stuff going on. He's seeing, like, this specter come out of the closet. The wall is coming out at him. Mm. And then Ben lets out this, like, huge scream. <laughs> and then yeah. it goes to commercial, and it comes back, and then they ADR in the scream again to remind you where we're at. And then it cuts <laughs> back to him, and he's kind of fine. <laughs> and he's like, anyway, I'm going to get up. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> like, that was, like, a scary moment. And then it's like, anyway... <laughs> Back to well, this. <laughs> this. This is what confused me about this because at that point you can – if you're following, if you know the episode, all right. So when it's revealed that Ben is being drugged and that the little girl is being drugged, her name was Daisy, Daisy Gray, who was uh, supposedly possessed by the demon. It doesn't make any sense because in the first scene where Ben sees some kind of apparition – yeah. 
he has not had anything. He has not yeah. he has not drunk anything. Daisy can mm-hmm. see Ben for Ben somehow. So she's been drugged. We we established that. Yeah. But he is witnessing something before we have yeah. this convenient I've been drugged explanation. And that's why this this episode to me is not as cut and dry as it pretends to be at the end. He's seeing something, whether or not it's it's Janice or Janice trying to sort of like trying to get in. Um I don't know because the the thing that supports that is that he did not see anything until they lost uh, contact with the imaging chamber. So the glitch happened and then the demon appeared. Yeah, see, that doesn't make any sense to me. Like, so oh, um, I'm not saying it makes sense. <laughs> no, it doesn't make sense. Nothing about this makes sense to me. And that's why I, I thought it was weird that they didn't acknowledge it in any way because ben figures out that he's been drugged but that doesn't happen till 17 minutes into the episode he even pointedly Hmm. refuses to drink the gin the first time around that he's offered it um and uh so and his we know the guy that he leaped into hasn't been drugged because we saw him arrive so he hasn't ingested anything before uh, ben arrived so uh yeah it doesn't make any sense and we're led to believe through some parts of this episode some of the things that we're seeing is Janice trying to get in contact with Ben. I think when there's like this shadow behind him, that's her. I don't know why she's skulking around, stalking and and not doing that much, but um, it doesn't make any sense if that was a hallucination because the audience is the only one seeing it. So um, I believe that that's what's going on there. And I feel like that's an okay... um, narrative device that they're using there like some of these things are other things going on and you could make this kind of spooky glitchy looks like a shadow looks like a demon kind of thing which is what they kind of do leading to the the reveal with her um but what he's seeing when he first arrives and the demon comes out of uh D- daisy uh it comes out of her, first of all, so I don't know why Janice would be coming out of her, and then, like, makes a face and kind of growls and does demon stuff. That's the, There would right. be no explanation for that being Janice glitching mm-hmm. in and out. That's just a separate thing altogether, and that's never explained. Ben never seems to have any questions about it. Uh, I wish that he had just he had brought that up, and then it, they left it ambiguous. Like, maybe there was something else going on here. Yeah, and I wanted to say that they did that on purpose. They gave us some wiggle room here to say, hey, there could be a supernatural entity at play here. There could be some sort of genuine evil at play here because they do reference the original series. And Ian says straight out, Dr. Beckett thought that God was controlling uh, the quantum leap device or something along those lines. So they finally made some kind of acknowledgement Mm. towards GTFW, which is the first time I think we've really seen it in the new series. And this is a perfect time to do it, but effectively, I'm not sure. They're kind of hand wavy about it. All right, but hang hang on a second. In in terms of that wiggle room you mentioned, though, this this is the problem that I have with this episode that it it, it does it back to front narratively. That that kind of oh, or maybe it was should happen at the end. It's much more satisfying if that happens at the end. As it is, this episode ends by saying, "Yeah, everything's scientifically proven." Oh, unless you rewatch the episode and realize that stuff happened at the start that doesn't make yeah, sense. Yeah, I don't. It, it, the it fact just, there's no acknowledgement it of it seems properly. like just a failure of, yeah. of, of the, the storytelling. And I did really enjoy this episode, but that that makes absolutely no sense. And it just needed some acknowledgement there. And uh, I don't know. Maybe it needed someone other outside of the people on the leap 
to kind of argue for it. I, I know, like, uh, they had the stuff with Al and Sam. Like, Al was like, it's a ghost half the time. You don't really <laughs> need to do that, but you could have someone. Like, Ian kind of speculates about it. Ian's like, maybe it was a demon. We don't know all the possibilities, but it seems very, like, kind of like, eh, maybe. Like, it's kind of tepid. It's, I don't know. And, yeah, it, it just feels like they're very incurious about what happens at the beginning, and Ben never seems to to wonder about what happened at the beginning either. So it just, I don't know, doesn't add up. Hmm. Um, they do have some, they do have some things in there, like that kind of, uh, toe the line between what is science and what is supernatural. Because like, Ben's like, well, I don't believe in possession. And Addison's like, well, you're possessing someone right now, dude. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're straight up possessing so, that dude. Yeah. You're possessing that dude. And it's like, oh, okay. Well, that kind of brings into question, like, you know, other instances of possession or other things. Maybe there was some other thing going on that we just don't understand. You don't understand things until you understand them. Um, yeah. But well, they just listen, don't really argue for it very much. On that point, though, that specific point about him possessing the priest, um, at the point where he realizes that Addison's not coming back, he's alone, he's got to figure it out, he starts talking to the mirror. And damn it, I really thought that the priest was going to talk back. Is that he, a missed opportunity? Was, oh, man, he was nodding when yeah. Ben wasn't. Did you catch that? Yeah, yeah. And it was just like, oh, this is new. This is interesting. Yeah. Was was that actually, because I've only watched this once properly and, and um, once on my mobile device, it's very, very small. I was trying to figure out if it was just editing in that they were, they they didn't have as many shots as normal of Ben and the mirror both in shot at the same time. And they were just using an effectively an editing trick to make it look like he was doing different things. Or, or were they actually out of sync with each other? No, I think, I mean, it, it would like, he was kind of out of focus. Uh, Raymond Lee was, but like it, it, he wasn't nodding and the reflection was, and I kind of think part of this was um, him hallucinating. Like, cause I think he was just yeah, okay. like, he was having this kind of manic conversation and trying to figure out the logic and the illogical and um and kind of imagining what the reflection is hmm. is saying to okay. him because he seems to kind of react in the mirror like he's giving he's not saying anything but his reflection his expressions seem to be indicating things to him yeah it was like a whole golem smeagol thing Maybe not, yeah, maybe not I, as, yeah. as stark, but but I feel like you know again if the episode had had gone further with the madness setting in that would have that could have been even more like powerful that moment you know but i i did like it though i feel like they came up with a couple clever workarounds for ben to have someone to bounce off of when addison's not on the leap like they did the mirror thing and then they had um the uh the dream sequence where he's seeing Addison in his head and he's trying to work out kind of like a an Agatha Christie mystery or something like who could be the one who <laughs> <laughs> committed this murder <laughs> i i was really glad too that like addison was was absent for most of this because we really got to see a lot of ben working on the leap alone right so i mean i know that that's been something that you've been really wanting to see on this series and this one really had almost nothing back at the project it was so much of ben and the leap and no interference so do you think that the show was better for that Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I, I was a little annoyed at the beginning. In the first 30 seconds that Ben is there, Addison pops up. And I'm like, get out of here. Leave him alone for a second. <laughs> 30 seconds. But then she's written out of the leap. And um, 
she's doing stuff at the projects. It's not like Addison's uninvolved or anything. And I feel like maybe this would have felt... If we saw in other episodes them working on the leap, the fact that they can't help with it, it would feel more like, oh, you know, they could really get in there, but they can't. You know, they're a little... um. They're helpless in this situation, but because we see so little of it, uh, I don't know if that really hit. Um, but I feel like th- what we saw at the project at b- this episode was a great window into what this show could be more effectively. Um, because most of it is them researching stuff about the leap. Um, there's no info dumps at a table. <laughs> the, no? There's no flash drive <laughs> searches. Uh, no one really said anything terribly annoying to me. There was a couple cringy moments, but whatever. Um, the only thing that seemed tonally not right to me was the scene with Jen. Um, because it, it's in the middle of all of this scary exorcism stuff going on. And then they cut back to them and it's like super casual conversation about Ben. And I feel like we've had this conversation many times on the show. Like there was just no lead up to it or anything. It just felt like they were short on time or they wanted Jen to have a scene or something. Um, It's not that they were doing bad character stuff. It just feels very repetitious. Like I'm kind of like over the same conversation. (laughs) Well, we did get something new out of that. We got the fact that Addison basically comes from a broken home and that she never wanted to get married until she met Ben. So I yeah, it all, come, it all jumps no, back yeah. into, we'll get Ben home. I get that. But there was a little bit of, uh, of discovery there. Yeah, there was a little bit. I just like, again, there's a lot of things that they do in the project. I wish they would integrate into different parts of it and not necessarily in the way that they're doing it. I don't think the acting was bad or anything. It wasn't a horrible scene. I just, that was the only thing that seemed tonally off to me uh, and a little disconnected from what was going on. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, the fact that they used very little project was nice to me because, uh, I never look forward to the project scenes. There's, there's never been a moment where I've been like, I'm so excited to see what's happening at the project. Pretty much <laughs> once a project scene happens, I have this like tense feeling in my gut and it's like, I'm trying to guess whether it's going to be a short scene that I can tolerate or if it's going to be a very long scene that I will never watch again. <laughs> because I'm, and I don't feel like half of the show I should be like, not like I sh- I'm tolerating watching this. And like, uh, it, the, the thing is the reveal with Janice at the end here, um, it didn't intrigue me. It made me wonder, like, how much time is this going to eat in the next episode? <laughs> like, how many boring info dumps am I going to have to sit through where they try to go like, but why is Janice doing this? <laughs> it's funny that I, I I wondered, I was thinking about you while I was watching this, and I wondered how you take the shorter project scenes, because for me, that was this was some of the weakest project stuff that I've seen. And one of the failings I found in this episode was that they did any project stuff at all. It came so close to being a claustrophobic Ben in a couple of sets by himself situation. Uh, I almost felt it would have been stronger if they'd have just said, ditch the project scenes and go 100% leap as a one-off. And I thought that would have been stronger. I love the project stuff, as you know, but 
those short project bits I felt didn't do a good service to it and I'd rather they'd have just shifted some of that stuff I I did happen to like the the gen scene but I, I appreciate it's nothing new but if they'd have shifted that to the next episode I'd have been happier yeah I noticed that there was no magic in this episode at all yeah um yeah and so it was very minimal it still felt like they did it because they had to do it um but I again I mean I'm gonna I'm just beating a dead horse at this point but like the fact that minimally the stuff at the project had to do with the leap the fact that they couldn't do anything on the leap kind of undercut it a little bit because they weren't really affecting anything they were just watching it uh but the fact that it felt like it was part of the same show kind of helped a little bit um and that's really what i i would like to see more of like i agree like it's they weren't really doing very much um but i would rather that than 90% of the stuff that they've been doing yeah, I just wanted to acknowledge the fact that for once you preferred the project stuff to my feelings on the project stuff. I still that- don't get me wrong. If they had no project <laughs> stuff in this episode, I would be fine. If the project blew up right now and we never saw any of these characters again, I would be fine. I care nothing for <laughs> if these characters were blown off the face of the planet. I'm sorry. Aww. Look, I like the actors. I don't even hate the characters. I just hate them in this show. <laughs> i hate these info dumps and you know what the thing is too we are over a third of the way into this season maybe even the entire show if they aren't renewed what have they done with this stuff it's so much lead up and you know trying to reel you in with these like what's the mystery what's going on but it's like whenever they do a reveal it's like two seconds of something interesting going on, and then the rest is a bunch of speculation and sitting around in front of blinky lights and doing nothing. And so I'm like, how does this affect the rest of the show? Not much. Like, it's like, ooh, you did you did a new reveal, so they have a new thing to talk about, which is nothing. You know, like, oh, I can't wait till next week when they're like, oh, what's Janice doing and why? I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I do. She's got her own imaging chamber, but just to speak a little bit to the project stuff and what was a purposeful, in my opinion, disconnect between Ben and his support system. I think that this was a way for the show to subtly and maybe gently reintroduce the concept of a higher power at work here and trying to ease Ben into the idea that maybe he has to start making some of his own decisions, taking responsibility, um, you know, um, as long as you accept that um, it is you who controls your own destiny. I can't help but tie it back to Mirror Image because I love Mirror Image so much. So I'm always going (laughs) to see elements of the bartender at play somewhere. And the fact that they had Daisy, the first time she sees Ben, she thinks he's an angel. You know, I still believe God sent you here. I may have had devil snare in my system, but when I first looked at you, Father, I saw an angel looking back. He looked younger than you, with black hair and dark eyes. Wait. You're leaving now, aren't you? She says Ben for Ben, and they Mm. give so many bonk-bonk on-the-head references to Joan of Arc and comparing (laughs) Daisy to Joan of Arc. Joan of Arc was famously uh, had visions of, of, you know, religious visions uh, before she went and conquered stuff. So I think that they're really, you know, telling you, hey— 
there is something bigger at work here. There is some more to this. We're going to wrap it up with a scientific thing at the end because we got the project and it's still kind of based in the real world. But there's enough here to say that door is open now. And I hope that they're able to go someplace with it because that to me was some of the most intriguing stuff of the original series, especially in context of Mirror Image. Yeah, but it also feels like at the same time, um, they're pulling away from the religious uh, overtones that were happening in the original series. Notably, um, in the casting call uh, for Ben, originally, the description for the character was a man of faith, and they say the opposite in this. So they've changed their mind to make him not a man of faith, which um, is interesting narratively, like he's got to... He doesn't really believe in this stuff, but he has to try and figure out, like, reconcile these two things. What's happening here? Maybe there is something at work. Um, But it does feel like, um, for the most part, a very secular version of Quantum Leap, which I think is kind of weird because Sam met an angel and fought the devil. Yeah. He's met a higher power <laughs> that may or may not have been God. There's clearly something going on. Um, it's it's not subtext anymore. <laughs> it's the text of the show. So it feels like they've pulled back a little bit from that. But I did appreciate uh, some of the stuff that they discussed in this episode. Well, let me put that in universe for you, Allison. And I'm not being an apologist for the show. I'm just trying to, okay. So we know that Sam fought the devil and met an angel. But the second Angelita and Angelita kissed him, he didn't know who she was. When Stoppa leapt out of the bar in Kochberg, nobody knew who he was. Nobody remembered him. When Sam left Beth, presumably after telling her that Al was going to come home and then he leapt out, presumably she had no memory of him actually doing that. She just somehow knew that Al was going to get home because we didn't see him leap out of that scene. So in my head canon, when he was gone, but in my head canon, when, when he was gone, she did not remember him specifically. So okay. I'm thinking that, Okay, so we know that God and the devil and angels and Bigfoot and Draculas exist in this universe, but the people involved in it don't necessarily know because of that forgetting factor, that fudge factor. So obviously there's something at work here where you're an anonymous person once you reach a certain level of leaping. If you're going to conflate leaping with angels, with Stoppa, with, and it's all a mess in my head. It's just all an amorphous sort of idea. But in universe, with that in place, then people wouldn't remember certain supernatural elements. Yeah, but surely, okay, here's a question actually I've had. Uh, How much records of the previous stuff that they've done on leaps uh, do they know about? Because, um, they obviously they obviously had enough to rebuild the project and use mm. the same technology so they they obviously have that kind of information so it doesn't really seem like anything's being um hidden from them mm. but there's a lot of things that they would have known about if they'd had any records of the leaps uh that Sam did you know like did any did everyone forget there was a vampire in the waiting room oh sorry i guess a waiting room <laughs> doesn't exist in this version of the show so i have no fucking idea on that part <laughs> But, you know, or like when they see that there's like another leaper, like they never go like, maybe there we've encountered other leapers before. Could it be these guys? 
They don't even entertain the idea that it could be Sam. So they're just like, I don't know, another leaper? I'm confused. You know, so I I don't know about this. I don't know about the things that they don't know. It seems like they should know some things, but they don't. But I mean, I, the thing about the angel, you're right. Like nobody remembered at the end, but Al did. He was in a different time. So wouldn't that be in the record because of him? Maybe. Yeah. Oh, but maybe they were like, oh, Al's always writing about, he thinks there's a bunch of boogeymen all around every corner. <laughs> Ignore what he's saying. And he's like, it was a ghost, guys. And they're like, yeah, all right, cool, whatever. He even thinks Do ships are ghosts. Do I put that ghosts. in the record? <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Donna's writing down the all of the leaps for Sam when he definitely is going to return home. And she's just like, I'm not putting in the vampire thing. I'm not. <laughs> no, no. You know what the thing is? The only records that existed were Donna's. And she is just such a horrible writer. So melodramatic <laughs> and melancholy. And they were just like, oh, we can't get through this now. Even Ziggy actually- refused to encode it. <laughs> No, she. I thought you meant maybe she just has really bad penmanship, and they're like, I can't read this. I know that was the okay. real tragedy of it all. Like the, all the records are there, but she just writes in a bunch of chicken scratch. And you're like, ah, oh, Donna. <laughs> well, she's got to keep that frying pan in her right hand as well, so it's very hard to balance the pen and the frying pan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they had other people that worked on the project that are still around. Like Al's not around anymore, but there are other people that would know this stuff. Like, so I don't know. <laughs> confusing yeah oh for sure but i feel like quantum leap has always been sort of vague and ambiguous about all of this stuff until it isn't so uh are they going to go that sort of cutesy supernatural route that we've seen before where matt you're exactly right it's always story 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 what (laughs) you know yeah they would do a lot of want was and they don't they do kind of have a want was like well like a kiss with history in this episode which was kind of i felt like a throwback to the the original show but what was what yeah. was the kiss with history uh with goodwill? goodwill yeah yeah so i bet she didn't start goodwill no i think like but it, it was just like a, a kiss with history like you just you, a brush up against it not really a. I think i think it would have been so much more effective if uh ben had shaken her hand at the end and said you're so, you're a woman of goodwill and she went hmm goodwill no that wouldn't I like no, that idea. no. <laughs> That would be terrible. That's a, that's an aspect of the old show I'm glad is gone. We don't need... <laughs> hmm, I like that. We, we don't need... <laughs> makes makes a man feel like a king. <laughs> makes a... <laughs> Stevie King? <laughs> I was going with Isaac, but both work. No, no, I know. I was just putting in the Halloween spirit. Oh, that's um, right. There we go. So... Yeah, while we're talking about uh, some of the stuff that doesn't make sense... Um, Ian is looking at Reddit. <laughs> they have a subplot yeah. where, like, they, they, well, not even a subplot. They're just looking at Reddit, and that's how they read up. Like, there's some sort of true crime Reddit subreddit mm-hmm. they're looking at, and then that has information about the case, which I – it's kind of weird seeing Reddit on Quantum Leap, but I kind of like seeing the process of some of the research because at this point yeah. uh, in the show, we've seen none of this. So uh, Ian's looking at this Reddit page. And then Addison comes in, and she's kind of, like, uh, high-strung about this whole thing. And uh, Ian br- uh, closes the window, and Addison's like, hey, what was that? And they're like, oh, nothing. I was monitoring Ben's vitals, and he's fine. And uh, acting like they're, – they're acting like Ian was hiding the information about the vitals, because, like, she's like, hey, tell me what's really going on. Okay, so he's freaking out, and she's like, oh, no, I can't do anything. I feel really helpless. Um, but they hid – the the tab with the reddit page not the vitals and then um 
And then Ian's like, don't worry, Addison, calm down about this vitals thing. Take a look at this Reddit page that I just hid. And and then brings the Reddit page up (laughs) so they can look at the case. So why did they hide it? I thought that they were hiding the Reddit page and trying to distract because it's the girl is dead. So Ben hasn't solved the leap, apparently, and Addison can do nothing about it. So they are trying to protect Addison in whatever dumb way they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, why I is didn't the get conversa- the whole thing with the vitals. And, and the, I just thought and maybe yeah, I need the- to go back and re-listen to that. But I just really thought that they had seen the picture of the girl's corpse um, posted on Reddit and said, oh, crap. All right. I can't yeah, show which Addison is what this. I and, thought, yeah, that's yeah. what I thought was going on. But then they don't talk about that. They talk about the vitals and then brings it up like they weren't hiding that. Like they go like, calm down about this. Don't worry. I know how we'll calm down. We'll look at this Reddit page I just hid. Like why the point A didn't go to point B for me. Maybe maybe it was a, a plan that failed. Maybe it was an unforeseen a meowgency. And that's all mm-hmm. the credit I'm gonna give that scene anyway. So Sure. <laughs> um this also this also brings up um something, uh another uh problem I've had with the, the show as a whole. I know I'm complaining every week. Um what is the point of Ziggy? <laughs> like they're they're using Reddit, they're using Google, they're using all this other stuff. Um Yeah. If they're gonna throw in last second that Ziggy's gonna talk or if it's just going to be with Janice because they're like, this is corny old stuff. We're just going to have it on her portion. I don't want it. Just do it if you're going to do it. We're Again, we're over a third of the way into the show. It, it kind of seems yeah. like they're not going to do it, which is annoying to me. It's disappointing to me because I was coming to that revelation too. If you're going to get Deborah back in to voice the character, why wait this long? Yeah, yeah. it seems like they're embarrassed and now it's all just Apple product, stupid blinky light computers. And I don't, like, <laughs> you can have that on any show. I thought that they maybe wanted to settle people into the dynamic of the show and the idea of the back at the project stuff before introducing a curveball like uh, a talking computer to a more mainstream audience that's used to just CSI and blinky lights and consoles and we're going to solve this problem with facial recognition technology and all that kind of crap. Um, but it seems like they're going in the opposite direction. I don't see them going more towards a, a reawakened Ziggy. I see them just like you said, Allison, maybe just leaving that behind. I don't know why you have Deborah yeah. willing to do it. It's an iconic part of the show. It's because they think it's corny and they don't want to do it. They just, they don't want to do a sequel to Quantum Leap. I'm sorry, they don't. <laughs> it's a remake. Well, I, I really think that maybe with Janice now in the system and uh, we got a glimpse of that that old hand link again when she manifested to Ben right before he left. Um, maybe we will get some Ziggy. This is just me holding out hope as a fan of the old series. Do Do I think we're going to get it? I'm I'm having increasing doubts, but I'm still hopeful. Yeah. Outside of giving some characters some names, I, I, I really just don't, I guess, Beth appearing. But other than that, I don't see what they have carried over from Quantum Leap. They've, they've gone out of their way to remove or change everything, pretty much. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. That's, that's, a, that's a bold statement to make, Alison, and we could... Um... We we could extend this podcast for hours debating that one. Um, I still think that a lot of the the heart and the the kind of the the focus of what Quantum Leap was all about is still there, just in a very different way. And a lot of the um, a lot of those kind of 
the the tangible things like like the hand link and like Ziggy and stuff like that. None of that's been carried across. You're right, but I think they've just created a new show with the same stuff at its in its guts. Yeah, it, that's the thing that, though. Like a remake I, I get could where you're do coming that. from. A remake could do that, and that's all it's yeah. come off as to me. If you're going to make it a sequel series, it feels weird to me to basically change everything. Like I don't, th- I can't think of a single thing that works how it worked on the original show or mm. yeah. uses anything that they did on the original show. And if they want it to be a remake, that's fine, um, but just don't call it a sequel series. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, uh, here's something positive about this episode. Um, I thought the fact that the the project stuff was minimized uh, really helped the leap out. This was the first time we did a leap out that was not interrupted by a project scene. It went straight mm. from one leap to the next. And it was amazing. Because going from spooky 30s Halloween right into woohoo, and then like the blur <laughs> song, and all of a sudden he's in like the late 90s. It's like, oh man, Quantum Leap's fucking awesome. You can just go from <laughs> yes. the one extreme to the next like yes beautiful yeah and i mean i don't know that i i know that we've been talking about about all of it but when all is said and done there was not i mean this episode was atmospheric and it was um very enjoyable but um as far as like substantive i don't know that we got much more out of the characters except for the the revelation that ben is not a man of faith which is completely contradictory um, to uh, we heard already mentioned this, but I'm trying to think of any other things that we might have learned about Ben or Ben's character that will inform the character going forward. And I guess maybe it's just the the willingness for him to m- maybe incorporate um, different beliefs or be open to entertaining different ideas than the ones that he already has. Uh, I think that's what that whole that whole end scene was about, and that's why I have hope that maybe you know some more of the supernatural GTFW stuff is going to sneak in as Ben eases into it as a character. Yeah, it's possible they might entertain more of that stuff. Um, I loved Ben in this episode. <laughs> I loved Ben um, because I feel like um, this. I don't know why this episode in particular, but it really clicked with me. This is Ben's style, and as opposed to Sam's style. Like, I was like, I could see Sam doing this episode in a very different way than Ben Mm -hmm. did it, even though ostensibly they're both logical scientists. Sam would probably be like, this isn't an exorcism, let's look at the logical conclusions. But the way that that Ben went about this leap, I feel, was very different. Like, I could see what, what his particular vibe was and um when he when he first sees that demon coming out of the girl he goes oh hell no (laughs) i was laughing so hard like i think this is the hardest i've laughed at this show there was i i was so pleased to see like yeah if we're gonna compare this to the original like scott would have played it very straight and dean would have been there for the laughs i was so pleased to see them leaning into ray's comic potential because he had so many funny (laughs) moments yeah um yeah it uh, he uh, the the comedy for this episode i mean the, the horror was was fantastic and there was some really atmospherically shot stuff but the comedy for this episode really made it for me yeah he's kind of the the goofy goober and then addison is more of the straight man yeah. Yeah, is, is what's yeah. going on here. 
And we didn't have a chance to see them play off of each other in this context, which I think might have been an interesting dynamic. I know that um, you're not Mm -hmm. crazy about the Addison stuff because of the way it's presented. But if we had had them at odds over something, like Sam and Al would have been, it might have been more evocative of the original feel of the Observer and Leaper dynamic that the show brought us. I mean, but it went like overly goofy a lot with Al because Dean was such a talented (laughs) actor that he could pull that crap off. Like Dean got away with stuff that nobody should be able to get away with, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But he's Dean, so he could make it work. Yeah, I I don't feel like they should have been doing that in this particular episode or in this show. They should have the go-go-go-go's type stuff going on. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I think the stuff with Addison, um, I'm I'm not bothered by Addison. I just feel like they need to tweak how they approach it sometimes. And they have been doing that. So it's not like, it's not awful or anything. Um, I just think like, she's not incredibly invested in the leaps themselves. She's invested in getting Ben home, which seems very weird considering she was trained to be the leaper. So I, I would think that she would be more invested in what's going on in the leaps and she's there a lot of the time and um all her focus is just on her and ben and so because she's there with ben and focusing on her and ben ben is focusing on her and not really focusing on the leap so i feel like if they a had uh, and they have been fixing this um a little less handholdy stuff and they um B, when she was there, it wasn't all just about you got to do this or you're not going to get home, which is important to emphasize, but not be the the focus all the time. Um, that would be good. Like, just have it like, just be a little more invested in, in what's going on in the moment, especially because these are supposed to be real people in real peril. I mean, so, but that being said, uh, what did you think of the fantasy element of this when Ben is hallucinating and he gets the answer from Addison who he can, he can kiss and touch and hold and I don't want to leave. I mean, I should not have liked that scene because I felt, oh, that's kind of a cheap way for him to come to a conclusion about what's going on. But I thought it really worked because I liked seeing them together. And just to give him that moment where he could actually hold her, even though he says, you're not my Addison. I'm, I know I'm hallucinating. My Addison's a hologram. I thought mm. that that was great. And I loved the music that they picked because it was it was so anachronistic to the 30s. That was not a 30s song. That was no, a 50s that was, song. Yeah. yeah. That was Beyond the Sea by Bobby Darren. Was that supposed to be anachronistic? Yes, because he is not in that space anymore. Uh, Bobby Darren, that song was not out in the 30s. That is, no, that it, is, no it wasn't. And I, I noted that too. I was like, this isn't a 30s yeah. song. But so I think I, it, it was supposed to be a cue that Ben is dreaming because the song doesn't belong. Why? Um, here's here's know. why I think he thought of it. And I'm laying down some Bobby Darren knowledge on you. When <laughs> Lola was at the piano playing, I used to play this for Daisy when she was a kid, she was playing Clementine. Oh, my darling. Mm-hmm. Oh, my darling. One of Bobby Darren's greatest songs is Clementine. And Ben heard Clementine. I don't know why they didn't use Bobby Darren's version of Clementine in that flashback. Maybe because it's a little bit too swingy. It's a little bit too... But Beyond the Sea is too. So there was a Bobby Darren connection running tenuously through all of the musical cues that weren't woo spooky Halloween things like the pop music that we heard. I can't believe that we're calling Clementine pop music, but still. <laughs> <laughs> so I like that as a big Bobby Darren fan. I like Bobby Darren so much, I sang Mac the Knife at my wedding. So I might be a little bit biased. <laughs> oh, wow. 
That's cool. No, they're good. They're good songs. I I just don't know if it seemed purposefully anachronistic or seemed like the song was a clue or a foreshadow or some sort of other meaning to it. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, but it didn't come across that way to me. It just kind of threw me off because I was like, it feels like they put in an old timey song, but it's not the right period. But I, most people probably wouldn't think of that, but I did. Yeah, well, I mean, something that we look for, and especially there were, I think, at least two radios in this episode, and Albie said, you better do some video uh, radio sightings for me. <laughs> so I have to go back and look at those, but that put me in mind of, okay, is this of the period? Is this anachronistic? And then when I heard Beyond the Sea, I was just like, that's got to be on purpose. It has to be. All right. Well, I mean, if that ever comes to something, um, you let us know. I think it was a link to Clementine. I think they were just having fun with the music. Right. I don't think that it means anything in the bigger picture. I just think it was yeah. um, it was supposed to be a, a mental thing for the viewers to say, wait a minute, he is not in the uh, 30s but I don't right think now. Most He's in viewers, his head. I, I don't think most viewers are going to know that's not a 30s song, though. They're going to think it's an old song and they're playing an old song because it's the 30s. I don't think most people are going to know that's anachronistic. The the fact that he uh, was unconscious and then woke up and suddenly it was all bright and softly lit and there's this, even if you're not familiar with the song, this kind of twinkly, slightly haunting music going on, I, I thought it was fairly obviously immediately not realistic before I put two and two together and thought, oh, hang on, that's the, the song's from the wrong period. It just seemed like the whole thing was quite dreamlike. Yeah, it seemed like they'd moved uh, stuff around into it, they, well, they had moved stuff around into a different set, so everything was kind yeah. of off. I liked how they did that. Um, I kind of wish that they had used at any point in the episode um, a '30s recording because the the older you get, the creepier it sounds, and you get into like those old wax records and stuff. Like I feel oh, like I love that could have like yeah, that would be really super creepy. And I I feel like Beyond the Sea Beyond the Sea worked fine. It's just I don't think it came off. Um, purposeful, but that might have been what they they were trying to do. But it doesn't really matter. It's all nitpicks on that scene. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that. As as is my want, I'm spending a little bit too much time thinking about Bobby Darren music. So I, I, I apologize for hijacking <laughs> you the do podcast. That, Chris. <laughs> we're we're all here to spend too long thinking about specific things. It's absolutely fine. The um uh, speaking of the the singing though with the mom, so they have this foreshadowing. Um, eventually they come to the realization at the end of the episode that she is attempting to kill Daisy, um, so that she can get this inheritance and then go off to Hollywood because she, she had her too young and she had to give up all of her dreams of stardom and being this big singer. Um, but the way they do this, she's at the piano and she's playing, uh, My Clementine and, um, and she's humming the song. And then Ben goes over and he says she has a nice voice. And I'm like, how do you know? She was humming the song. <laughs> like she didn't sing. It's a nice hum. <laughs> nice hum. You have a nice hum. Like if they're going to say that this is a character who has these dreams of being this singer, to not show her singing was a little weird to me. Yeah. Yeah. I who knows, maybe there was some singing and they had to cut it. I mean, we were talking to um, Ted Monte about his part in Salvation of Bust and there turns out that he he recorded he he you know, he did a lot more for the episode. It just didn't make the cut. So, mm. 
Yeah, no, but uh, yeah, obviously, if you're going to point out that she's singing, you could probably yeah, yeah, use a plot just a, point. like a couple of seconds of that as a plot <laughs> point. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. you know, with, with the editing, we needed to get Janice in the end, so that's it. Cut the singing. <laughs> well, the I mean, the Janice thing took up very little time. As much I've complained longer than the scenes in the project took place <laughs> in this episode. So, uh, whatever. Yeah. So I want to ask you guys one thing, um, because. I'm I'm thinking of the promo uh the promo pictures that um we had gotten for this episode. A little and spoilery, was, huh? They were a little spoilery <laughs> and there was a, <laughs> a couple spoilery. there was a couple where you saw like a figure with black hair and a red face that I don't think we saw in the episode at all, unless that was supposed to be the manifestation. Shadow. That was that was the we did see it in the episode, but it wasn't like in those promo shots because it was so darkly lit. Like the the Mm. shadow shows up behind him at one point. Yeah, but all I saw was a shadow. I didn't see anybody. Well, the character's called Shadow, right? Like, yeah, Yeah. it's weird that they took the time to do this makeup when you see none of it. If you look at these promo photos, and for people who are just listening, don't look at the promo photos of the show. Um, they uh, released a couple of them for this, where it shows a woman with a black wig, and she's got this red and black makeup on her face. She's smiling kind of creepily, standing behind Ben, and it says, uncredited shadow. And um, so they didn't say who the actress was, and they usually do say who it is. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, so there was all this like mystery. Like We're like, is this Caitlin Bassett in makeup? Are they kind of yeah. trying to do the boogeyman again? with the owl twist or like who is this um they didn't reveal who it was uh they didn't even really show this very much it appears that this shadow was supposed to be janice i don't think that this was georgina riley in uh in makeup but i think it was supposed to be her before you saw that it was her and i thought it was the mom skulking around in the background before we found out she was guilty I don't know why they showed her like smiling in that promo photo because Janice wouldn't be doing that if it was supposed to be her. So I don't really yeah, know what, what any mean. of that was supposed maybe to be. Maybe it was supposed to. Maybe they. Maybe the demon was going to have more of a presence. But if it was like if it was supposed to be the demon, we see this shadow behind Ben at one point, and they play the spooky music, and it and it slinks off before he looks. He, yeah. No one sees that but the audience. So if that was a hallucination, that wouldn't make any sense. That we're the only. No, that's ones why seeing I thought. It. That's why I thought it was the mom skulking around in the shadows. Because oh. she was she was the operative yeah. to to make all of this happen, mm-hmm. right? Her and her mm-hmm. and Percy. So that's how that's how I took it. I thought it was Lola, just just you know, being sneaky, sneaky Lola. This whole plan falls apart under any scrutiny. I don't really understand like the whole exorcism <laughs> ruse going. This whole plot of this episode, where it's like, okay, why did they think she was going to hallucinate that she was possessed by a demon when they came up with this plan to start poisoning her food and make her hallucinate? And everyone seems to share the same hallucination. Um, I don't yeah. know if it was because I think they were. I think the idea was that they were. They wanted to kill the ant, but they wanted to pin it the blame on Daisy being possessed. So the only thing I can think of is maybe the power of suggestion. Maybe they were planting in her mind these things about demons and stuff to try and bolster this story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, maybe maybe that's the turn it took unexpectedly. They just thought they were going to poison her, and it manifested as her thinking that she was possessed by a demon. So they had to roll with it somehow. You know, think on the fly. What happened to that first exorcist? He ran away. They say he didn't get past the step of summoning the demon. So he just went like, come out, demon. And then he went, ah, ran away. Or did they kill him? Or 
What a rubbish exorcist. Well, that's because he took a massive, massive slug of gin before he went in for the first round. So he was Maybe? already compromised. They, but they don't offer <laughs> They don't offer any gin to Ben before he goes in there the first time, which seems weird because if that was part of the ploy to also get this exorcist to believe. Maybe they were like the exorcist didn't need to. The exorcist already is going to believe that there's a demon there and they didn't need to do anything. But I, I don't know. I don't really know what happened. I was like, did they kill this exorcist? Like, they seem so vague about what happened to the first guy. And yeah. who who called the doctor there? The doctor says that they were refusing to give Daisy treatment. So why was he there? Yes. It seemed like he was invited. So who invited him? Wouldn't that expose their whole plan if he figured out that she was poisoned? Maybe it was uh, Magda. I don't know. It just seems weird because he says they're refusing to give treatment, but then at no point does anyone say, hey, stop treating her, which would have been a hint that something was wrong. I just felt like it, these story, this didn't connect here. Yeah, I, I don't, I'm, I'm confused as to the doctor's presence as well, to be honest. And he, it's not like he even came in and saved the day at the end with Ben. He was just standing there for the reveal like everybody else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was, I, I don't know if that yeah. was missed opportunity or if they just wanted to have another red herring that came in and one that didn't really go anywhere. I, I really don't know. I think he just needed someone else to, to bounce off of maybe. Yeah. To show someone be. who was in that time thinking more logically about it and, and thinking less religiously sure. about if there was a demon. Maybe that was the thought, but. I mean, that makes sense. I, I don't know why Ben didn't seem more concerned for the welfare of of Daisy because there were times where he was connecting with her I did like when he like sits on the bed and talks with her and th there were some some parts where they were connecting which I think um had been missing from some previous leaps just having moments like this to to get to know the people um but it Really, the logical conclusion that anyone would come to in this situation, if you don't believe that there is a demon or an exorcism needs to be done, the logical conclusion is this is someone who is having a mental break or is very sick um, and not being cared for properly. So, like, let's say, you know, well, we know that mental health was not being treated very well in the 30s. Um, even into now, like, people are just now starting to really take care of uh, other people and and mentally you know like yeah, take well, care of their they, mental health mm. you know <laughs> they made a nod to that because the doctor's solution was to either give her a lobotomy or electroshock therapy yeah so. yeah so they they, they <laughs> throw in a line about this but then like ben doesn't seem to to go too far into this theory he doesn't seem to be like hey these people are like they're doing something really effed up with this person who is clearly having a mental breakdown and then, like, when they undo her restraints, it just seems so stupid to me because it's like, okay, but she is clearly injuring herself. You can see there's cuts all over her face. I don't know where else that came from other than maybe she was she was scratching herself or something. Um, she's clearly been attacking other people because they all seem very scared of her. So I don't know why they're like, yeah, let's undo her restraints. Yeah. I think it was to humanize the character of Daisy a little bit more to make the audience care more about her, to see her as more of a victim than a threat. Yeah, I don't know. It's just the fact that the doctor suggested this 
And then Ben's like, I don't know, I guess. And then they do that. It seemed like it was all just a setup for that. Did she kill the ant or not thing? And, oh, that's too. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're setting that up. But I don't know. I guess I would have liked it better if maybe Ben was the one who suggested it. Maybe even naively, you know, just be like, this This seems cruel to be doing this. I don't know how, like, maybe if we just lock her in here, you know, she won't hurt anyone. But it just seems cruel to be, like, tying her to the bed like this. You can see, like, her uh, wrists and her ankles are all raw and red from pulling at ropes. Mm. I guess it's been going on for a long time, for three weeks. Yeah. As soon as they got the Jimson weed. Now, I mean, talk about Encyclopedia Ex Machina. I mean, that was- <laughs> Encyclopedias, <laughs> the original internet. <laughs> <laughs> you are a physicist, sir. <laughs> Encyclopedias, the original internet. <laughs> And the right one just happens to be right there. Oh, yeah. He flips that open like two flips of the book and he's on the page. And there's an illustration of what he's looking for, too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That was hilarious. Does do these hallucinations make someone's voice change? Because she's talking like a demon still. I'm thinking that's what Ben heard. No, but she's talking when they do the 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 setup at the end. Yes, where she's underneath the sheet. She's still talking like a demon. Like there's two different voice overlays, and they've deepened it. Someone here killed Daisy. Well, she can talk like this. Yeah, she's like modulating her voice electronically. Why can't she? I'm doing it right now. I just don't know why everyone's hallucinations would be so similar. Because yeah. show. Because <laughs> Halloween. I didn't mind that that stuff. I thought it was kind of silly that she was using the voice. I thought, okay, maybe Ben's hearing it because he's hallucinating it. And then they're just doing it for effect for the reveal at the end so that everybody's afraid. But it's not a voice that but how do you it's do not that? a voice anyone can do. Yeah, if you she can't was just do that's she, electronically modulated. Yeah, if she was like, didn't, I'm demon, you know, I'll do this. Like, maybe you'd be like, okay, someone could do that with their voice, but not like, you know, the, yeah, the auto-tune or whatever was going on. Yeah. Like, that's not something anyone can do with their voice. They can on TV. They can next on point. TV. <laughs> okay, next point. Was the ant not worth saving? I guess not. Addison does not mention that the ant dies. She only says Daisy dies. So either they changed history and got this woman killed or uh, Ziggy or GTFW or maybe even Addison didn't think the ant was worth mentioning. That happened a bunch of times in the original series. (laughs) I still have that question, though. I would have that question even if it was the older show. Be like, why? Ah, Sam, you just leaped in and 16 people have just died, but you got to come and save this one. It just seemed weird that there was no mention of, of her dying. Yeah. Because then it wouldn't have been a surprise. I guess. Fiction has its demands. (laughs) (laughs) Um, They get no trick-or-treaters at the exorcism dead ant house, I guess. (laughs) It's a 666 right over the door. I mean, who would go there? (laughs) They were wheeling the body out, and then all these trick-or-treaters are standing nearby, and it's like, uh, happy Halloween. (laughs) You didn't see what Magda was doing off screen. She could have been giving out bowls and bowls of uh, candy apples. That's true. I don't know if you want to be having... Maybe turn the lights out and be like, go somewhere else, kids. (laughs) You want to see something really scary? I I love that they kept in the little, like, laugh sound effect after the numbers turned, by the way. They had at the end of the last episode, so it was still like... (laughs) (laughs) It's very good. Um, I also appreciated that... um, this is another one that felt like a period piece. 
Uh, again, Very it's much kind so. of easier to do because it's further back, but it felt like the 30s to me. Even the stuff outside, like, you know, all the cars and all the costumes, like, they all seemed to be correct to me. Yeah, I love that aesthetic, mm-hmm. so that's something about this episode that just sucked me right in immediately. Yeah, that was fun. And also, like, um, it differentiated it from The Exorcist enough. Uh, obviously, this is a lot cleaner than The Exorcist, but the fact that they, like, set it in a different kind of time period. Uh, I like that they did all these, like, flashbacks to the birthday, and they had this kind of murder mystery uh, clue-esque kind of who did it and why. That reminded me a little bit of Creepshow. With, uh, where's my cake? I think the cake oh. is the same color. <laughs> <laughs> the white and pink. <laughs> but that's where my mind went on those scenes. <laughs> uh, one other thing uh, that I didn't know or didn't understand. How did Addison instantly know what a bathroom is called in the 30s? She's just, she's been researching bathrooms in her spare time. She's an expert <laughs> in that field. She was going to be the leaper. I mean, you know, she's like, I really need to know what a bathroom is called in the 30s. Right. So, so let she's me research be able to blend in. the water closet. Because it feels like a lot of this stuff, when they would have Al provide things like, oh, 911 didn't exist yet, or oh, this is what we did in the 30s, or in the, well, they didn't go to the 30s, but you know, this is what they did in the 50s, or whatever. It was because he was drawing from life experience. But clearly, Addison is not, she's not been around in the 30s. I don't really see any reason why she would know this specific fact, but she doesn't like look at the hand link or try to look this up or anything. I guess if Ziggy talked, you could maybe have Ziggy real quick say, hey, tell him to say this. I, I don't know. This is one of the things that they read about in the original files. Oh, as a leaper, you're going to have to find places to speak to your hologram. Oh, the toilet's the best place the, for it. The toilet's throughout time. <laughs> so research every single name for toilet throughout history. So you're re- that's and that's and then you're ready to leap. You know what? It doesn't, that, nothing else matters. It's a it's a glossy coffee table book they keep uh, in the lounge at the project. <laughs> It's sad that that kind of works. That head that headcanon kind of works. I like it. <laughs> I mean, never mind that Addison never expected to leap beyond her own lifetime. Apparently, because it was such a surprise when Ben oh, did right. it. Yeah, but well, I, yeah, you know, no, headcanon fell apart. Head, I'm sorry, no, Chris ruined it. The headcanon <laughs> fell apart. <laughs> no, didn't pass the smell test. She she's an overachiever. She's like, no, damn it, I've started down this route. I've learnt all the toilet names for the last thirty years. <laughs> I want to go back another hundred. Yeah, and, and <laughs> just that, that's credit. a big that's a big coffee table book. You don't just look at it from 1961 on. You gotta, you know. If you if you're in it, you're in it. Yeah, I, um, that's something <laughs> I wish that they would capitalize more on. Um, the fact that because they're going beyond uh, Ben's lifetime, they're going pretty far back. It would be nice if the further back they went, the more difficult it was to pull up information. Uh, because hmm. like it, it just seems too easy. Like I, that was part of what was intriguing and about leap between the states is that there really is less information available. So how do you navigate this? Like all of a sudden they've changed the rules and changed how things go, and you're and you have less tools at your disposal. But the fact that Addison could pull up something as obscure as the the water closet um, just feels like everything was just too easy there. I kind of liked the idea with the Reddit in that like they could have been like. What, how are we supposed to have records of what happened at this house in the 30s? And then they're like, oh, actually, there is this this true crime Reddit where they're talking about this, like, you know, go through different avenues. Like, that's kind of interesting to me, but it's just instantly there. 
It's one of those great changes since the original series that they never would have been able to get away with. Like, there was just, in the 90s, there were just things that were really obscure. Now nothing is too obscure for the internet. Everything is out there somewhere. That or you have to invent... You do enough Googling, you'll find it. You have to invent a book by Laszlo Feng. So (laughs) I take Reddit every day. (laughs) But, like, by adding this this kind of stuff, um, it emphasizes, you know, why you need to do certain changes and why... It, it would be nicer if Ziggy wasn't just Google because Ziggy could do things that you couldn't possibly do in the late 80s, early 90s. But now you can do all of that stuff. So what is the unique thing about Ziggy and the, that she needs to be on this time travel project? I think it's it's deciding the the percentages of what original history needs to be changed, what Ben is there to do. She can see the right. computations of the possibilities of what could happen with each action. So yeah. that's that's because where I look she at uses it. she uses human reasoning. She's not just a number cruncher, but where's the I, human I, reasoning? I'm getting my memory back. Ow. <laughs> but what is she? But where's the human part of it? Show us Ziggy, yeah. damn it! <laughs> it's coming. It's coming down the pipe. No, it's not. It is. If Shut up, Ziggy you it actually is. talks like I, uh, I'll eat my hat. Okay, <laughs> and we will watch it live on Patreon. <laughs> but talk, talking or not, Ziggy is already. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm as disappointed as you guys about the lack of talking so far. But Ziggy is already sharing percentages of possibilities, so it's doing that that human type interpretation and intuition combined with all the calculations required to be able to do that. It's already going beyond Google. It is doing that. It's just we don't hear the voice. All, all we're getting is what we used to get from Al for the first three seasons of the show, which is just, here's the facts that Ziggy's just shared with me. Yeah, but I mean, like, Al would have stories. Like, he'd be like, oh, Ziggy's depressed. I think we need yeah, to get Ziggy okay. a girl, right, girl computer, yeah. or Ziggy's doing this. You know, there'd be, like, quirky things. It'd be like, this is not yeah, a thing yeah, that a yeah. computer does. That was, it was interesting. So I just would like to see that because that that is something that was unique about Quantum Leap. Yeah, agreed. Okay, I, I got a few more uh, things. Uh, in quantum physics, there's a concept that if you believe in something, it makes it true, or well, help it makes helps it, helps it, it helps help make it true. Make it true. Yeah. Is there? <laughs> I don't know. Is it? I I haven't researched that. That intrigues me. Yeah, Jen says this. What what is she referring to? It's the wish fulfillment theorem. Is it? Um, Are Fermi's, you just making Fermi's stuff out wish, of your butt? Well, if I say it, if I say it with enough authority, kind of like Jen, maybe you'll believe it. Maybe she was just trying to make Addison feel better. I don't know. We have some <laughs> physicists out in the audience listening at this point. Tell us, everybody. Come on, you physicists, step, <laughs> us, step up and tell us what Jen was talking about. Because uh, I don't know. Because I feel like there are some there are some supernatural beliefs that if enough people believe in one thing, it can manifest. I think they use that in supernatural once or twice as a plot point. Mm-hmm. Like certainly there are some people who believe that there's the, well, that's, also that's just the, the power whole, of positive thinking. You that's know, the whole but, premise of Neil Gaiman's American gods. I mean, the gods exist as long as people believe in them and there are oh, like okay. 9,000 Jesuses because everybody believes in Jesus, you know? Oh, okay. Cause the, cause the Muppets told us if ever, just one person believes in you, you could, <laughs> Someday we'll find Never it, mind. Allison. The Rainbow Connection, the, the lovers, connection. the dreamers, and us. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in quantum physics, can can anyone tell me what quantum physics theory, what 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 is she referring to here? Because this seems like nonsense to me. We have the call out. Yeah. We have the call out. It will be in a future feedback segment. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I'm Googling and I'm not finding anything, but, you know. Google. Maybe she was saying it like you would be talking to, like, a child, you know, like when you're making something up, like, you know, in quantum physics. That's what I was thinking. Maybe she was just making her feel if better. If you screw your eyes up really tightly and wish to the ghost of Christmas. If you believe in it hard enough, Addison, you can bring your fiancé home. <laughs> All right, Jen. Oh. <laughs> you guys are just jaded. <laughs> it's not that I don't believe in the power of positive thinking. I just don't believe this is scientific in any way. <laughs> anyway, oh, uh, okay. I really loved in the dream sequence when Ben goes, oh, no, am I dead? <laughs> Once again, hearkening back to, you know, speculation from the original series. Ooh, are Leaper's dead? Is Sam dead? I could be in a reverse reincarnation that's entered midlife. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, I just like his reaction, just like, oh no, am I dead? <laughs> it's just like, yeah, um, I'm really loving how Raymond Lee is falling into this character. Um, you're really getting the, the vibe of who he is. Really great. Um, also, he learned Latin in high school. D- do people teach Latin in high school? Maybe uh, he took it when he was doing uh, ESL. You have to think that maybe he was doing some ESL or at least brushing up on English. Maybe he was taking a bunch of languages because he was so special. But that's presumptuous. He, took, he, he could probably he, he could probably learned English in Korea when he was a kid. While he's learning English, he's, he's also learning, learning Latin. Latin. <laughs> <laughs> Just what high school did he go to where it's like English is a second language slash Latin? <laughs> he went to Bronx Science. Moving on. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, maybe he tried to learn it himself. He wasn't very good at it. That's for sure. I, I mean, I don't know what schools are like uh, everywhere else. I can tell you one thing. Um, there's basically two languages that I encountered in high school outside of English, and that's uh, Spanish and French. No, there's Italian too. Maybe German. But who's teaching Latin? It's a dead language. <laughs> who's teaching it yeah. in high school? <laughs> <laughs> I like the idea that Ben speaks Latin, though, but badly. So is it one of the several languages that he speaks? Or Yeah, yeah. We just said that he could read it, so it's possible that he knew enough to... I mean, I guess, like, anyone could read it, though, right? If it was just written in the English alphabet? No, like, well, like, because okay. he was correcting himself as he went, uh, uh, at least oh. in one of the passages. So he has right. some kind of working knowledge of it. Right, okay. I yeah. thought that was a neat touch. And I thought this was filled with a lot of neat touches, a lot of um, subtle callbacks. And uh, But I, I feel like the fact that they're giving us much more to chew on and opening up different doors. And I guess if, if you guys don't mind, I, I'll, I'll get my final thoughts out of the way because um, I like this ostensibly because it was a great episode, like a, a good spooky Halloween episode. And did it fall together very precisely at the end? No. But that's what I like most about it because it opened the door to some of the more supernatural elements that Quantum Leap has been known for, especially the GTFW stuff. And I feel like maybe we're at a starting point where we can introduce some of these elements into the series so that we can have a continuation of of those thoughts, of that through line from the original series. So um, for that, I like this episode even more. I thought that the, the murder stuff was neat and atmospheric, but... In the end, I see this as a bigger picture episode instead of just a Halloween one-off, and that's what makes me like it best. Yeah, uh, I had a great time watching this episode. Uh, I thought it was fantastic, despite the fact it really did not make a lot of sense. (laughs) And uh, I really enjoyed (laughs) that the project was very minimal, and I, I hope that this is the format that they keep. Because I want to see less and less of the project every week. <laughs> so 
<laughs> Thumbs up from me on that. <laughs> it, it's still a, a, a an uncertain for me. I look. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with anything you guys have just said. I thought there was some super atmospheric stuff, some super funny stuff, and it was a really enjoyable ride. It's just the stuff that didn't stand up to scrutiny really bothered me. And I think it's it's optimistic to read into that, that, oh, it didn't make sense because they were aiming for something to be supernatural. I think it didn't make sense just because they kind of screwed up bits of it. I, I honestly think it just didn't hang together that well. And it frustrated me because there was so much that was good about this. And if I'd have just been watching this without a critical or analytical eye and I don't mean any offense to that to you guys because I know you both do watch these things with a critical and analytical eye but it that element bothered me to the point where it it took the shine off what was otherwise in many ways a fantastic episode so I'm still very uncertain hmm well, I mean, I think that those are all fair points. Uh, I'm just intrigued with the possibilities. So uh, I, maybe I'm giving it too too much of a pass because of that, because you're right. I mean, yeah, there are just things that fell apart. But still in all, still a good episode. And um, I guess that puts our discussion of Oh Ye of Little Faith in the books. But stay tuned, because after the break, we will be bringing you our interview with Elise Levesque. The QLP is brought to you by listeners like you. Please go to patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and give as much as you can. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be a contributor to the quantum leap podcast. It goes to covering our server cost and helps keep the podcast going. Thank you. On the latest episode of Leaps Elsewhere. Oh, we gonna have some fun on this podcast, guys. Today we'll be talking about the NCIS New Orleans Season 1 episode, Chasing Ghosts, that features both Scott Bakula and Dean Stockwell. We're all going to talk about the accent, let's face it. The Baxen. <laughs> Dean Stockwell is T-Bone! Dean was really solid. I believe that this was his very last TV appearance. It feels like he spent a day on a boat and got to hang out with his old friend Scott Bakula again. And- <laughs> this is the complete wrong role. For Scott back. He did a lot of squinty acting in this, did Scott. <laughs> How many, like, Navy crimes can he come up with? Apparently, if you're Donald Belisario, 10 million. <laughs> yeah, I was glad that Scott took a moment to explain to us that discrimination hasn't ended. <laughs> it's probably the most dynamic episode of television that Scott Bakula stars in that revolves around an anti-Semitic lynching. <laughs> a ringing endorsement. I think we're all in agreement, everyone. Tune in to NCIS yeah. Nolan. To find out how to hear this, and other Patreon-exclusive shows, go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. That's patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. It's the way they roll in New Orleans. <laughs> but is it? <laughs> Maybe. Hey, everyone, we're back. Woo! Ooh, spooky times. And as promised, here is our interview with Elise Levesque. Father Davenport, thank God. I'm afraid it's gotten worse. Please, come in. Oh, 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 oh. 
Hey there, welcome to the Quantum Leap podcast. Uh, we're very excited today to be bringing you an interview with Elise Levesque. Elise, welcome to the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, we've just seen Elise in the latest episode, O Ye of Little Faith. Uh, so we're going to talk a lot a bit about that and, um, and also uh, some of Elise's other work. Uh, perhaps we could just start by going back to the beginning briefly, because you've been acting since you were very young. So can you tell me a little bit about how you got started? Yeah, so I guess I've been doing this, gosh, I don't want to do the math necessarily, but I started when I was 11 and I'm 37, so I'll leave that up to you. Um, I am from a very small city in Canada that used to have a pretty uh, budding film industry. Um, and one day, my grade six teacher, Miss Kraus, shout out to Miss Kraus, um, came up to me and was like, there's an open call for this kid's uh, television series that's shooting in town. And I really think you should go and audition for it. And I think she thought I'd be good for it because whenever there was an assignment in class, I always, like, if it was like, you can do a presentation or you could write a story or whatever. I always like filmed something like made the other members of the group acted out. Um, so I was obviously very sort of drawn toward that, um, to acting and performing. So, um, so she was sort of the person who ushered me in that direction. And I remember I almost, I almost didn't go. And then my mom was like, you know, like, whatever, let's just go, let's just see what happens. Worst thing, you just go, you have an experience, like whatever. And it was so not a traditional audition because usually like an audition, you get sides, you go in and you read. This was like a sit down interview. Um, with this casting director, Jackie Lind, who casts a bunch of stuff in Canada. And all she did for like 10 minutes was just ask me questions. And I remember one of the questions she asked me was, if you could go on a date with anyone, who would it be and where would you go? And I said, Leonardo DiCaprio, and we would go to McDonald's. And I guess that was like a good enough response because then I got a call back <laughs> and had to actually read something. And then um, I made it into this like repertory company of like 40 some local kids that they would use to cast in these little sort of vignettes. Um, the show was a series of short stories written by kids that then screenwriters took and turned into screenplays. Um, so it was a really formative experience and a, a really good training ground because they taught us because pretty much none of these kids had any experience being on a set. So they had like a two week workshop where they taught us like, you know, how the terminology, what you can kind of expect on a set. We did some acting exercises and um, yeah, it was a really good sort of beginning. And then I remember on like the first day that my mom, my mom came to pick me up after my first day of filming. And I was like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. So at 11, I was like, I found my thing. Amazing. Cool. And a, a through line straight from there, because I know sometimes child actors have a few years and then think, you know, I've done that. It's not for me. But for you, it's just straight on. Pretty, pretty much. I mean, I, I, yeah, I worked on a few other shows as a kid, as a teenager. And when I graduated high school, I was supposed to go do the third season of this show in another province. And it was all set up and ready to go. So I didn't sign up for university. Um, cause I was going to be filming into the beginning of the school year. And, um, and then fortunately, unfortunately it got canceled, um, before we even started filming the third season. And so I was sort of like 
left with this moment of what do I do? I, you know, I can't get into university right now. Like I missed the window. I don't know what I would even want to study. Um, is acting what I want to do with the rest of my life? I don't know. Um, and then I, I had an opportunity to do some modeling. So I, I started doing that and I did that for about two years, traveled to Asia and Europe. It was a really amazing experience. Um, and I think it actually gave me the confidence to then be sure of what I wanted to do, which was acting. So when I got back to Canada after two years of traveling, I very briefly went to school, you know, just something to sort of occupy myself and also like was working a part-time job to save money so that I could move to Vancouver and pursue acting full-time. That was like 2006. So, so pretty, pretty steady since then. Yeah. Great. Should we, um, let's jump ahead to Quantum Leap and then I think uh, we'll probably um, take some steps backwards afterwards. So um, could you maybe just talk me through the audition process for Quantum Leap or how you, how you became involved in it? Well, the whole world now is self-tapes because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so it was just another tape that I did, one that I threw into the void. And I actually auditioned or put myself on tape for the role of Magda, the, the maid. Um, and then I was uh, out of town going to a friend's wedding and I got a phone call um, that I'd booked the part. And I remember thinking, I really don't think I'm right for this part. Like I got that part. Wow. Okay. And then maybe like 30 minutes went by and my agent called me back and he's like, wait, they don't want to book you for the part that you read for. They want to book you for the part of the mother. And I was like, the mother? Like, wait, what <laughs> character? I don't remember that in the sides. Like, what's the mother? And he's like, I think it's, I think it's a better role for you. And then I got the script and I read it and I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> this is, this tracks. This is, this is very on brand. <laughs> this is going to be great. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so that was it. And then uh, luckily too, just sidebar, I've, I've, I had worked with the director, Chris Grismer, um, before on a show called The Originals. And also very strangely enough, he and I just figured out we're from the same city in Canada. We're both yeah. from a city called Regina. That's how it's pronounced. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> and, um, uh, yeah, so I'd worked with him before and he was familiar with my work and he was the one who was like, I actually think Elise is better for this other part and luckily nobody objected fantastic and then was that quite a, a a quick process from auditioning through to getting that news and then straight in so or you fast. yeah yes it was so fast i mean that happens often especially with episodic where mm. it's like you put a tape in on a tuesday and by wednesday night you know you've got the job and then you've got your wardrobe fitting because you start on friday like it's usually <laughs> pretty quick i think this was like i found out on a friday and then I was into wardrobe on Tuesday and filming Wednesday. So I had like a little bit of time, but it wasn't a ton. You don't, it's not like months of prep or anything. You pretty much yeah. jump right into it. Yeah. You leap in, you leap right into it. <laughs> and I think from the, the, the way that this episode set up, uh, I guess all, all the actors were there from, from day one throughout the entire shoot. Was that right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It was interesting because yeah. It's like, um, it was kind of a unique experience as a guest star on something because usually 
when you're a guest star, you're the only new kid on the block. Mm. And then they've got all these regulars who are there, you know, day in and day out for months. But with this, because Ben is always leaping into these new worlds, you're one of many new kids on the block, which is kind of takes the edge off. So you've got all these people who are sort of in the same boat as you on day one. Like no one knows how it's going to go. You're all trying to like find your footing. Um, and so we actually shot the first scene we shot was with all the characters in this um, storyline, um, which was sort of a nice way to break the ice. Were you excited to uh, work on a Halloween episode? And what, did it feel like a Halloween thing? It, it looks like uh, it seems like The Exorcist, like a horror movie. Was it kind of fun doing the horror uh, genre in this uh, episodic TV show? Oh my gosh, 100%. Halloween is my jam. It's my favorite time of year. <laughs> I look forward to my monthly watch of The Nightmare Before Christmas um, every October. And um, so, yeah, I was super pumped when I um, got the episode and read that it was Halloween and saw just even the references to um, sort of Halloween of the 1930s. And they talked about um, there was this sort of thing written in the script the opening scene where Ben lands in the body of this priest and there's all these like kids running around these trick or treaters. And it was like Google 1930s Halloween costumes mm. at your own risk. So I immediately like Googled. I don't know if you guys have seen that stuff. It's terrifying. <laughs> like the I masks these kids used to wear. Terrifying. Mm. It's that is a, a Halloween movie in and of itself. Like someone needs <laughs> to write that. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it was super, super fun to be filming something like that. And the house we filmed in was so spooky and we were on the like universal back lot, which is just such a cool place to be like right next to the jaws, um, exhibit. So every so often these like train, like trains of peep <laughs> tourists would go by and you could see because they had to turn the sound off, um, of the, the, like, cause there's like music and everything for that exhibit they had to turn it off so these poor people just had to like silently watch a shark like come out of the water with no sound effects <laughs> and then continue on their way um but anyway all that to say yeah it was it was really fun to do a halloween episode and to know that it's going to air on halloween is also just a real treat uh it being a period piece of the 1930s did you have to prepare any different than you would for other characters like uh kind of get used to the times or maybe like the mannerisms or uh language yeah i i mean yes and no i think i think sometimes it really depends on what time time period you're doing but um i think we all sort of collectively as a cast didn't you do tend to speak in like a different way which is just more enunciate more enunciation more articulation people back then didn't do a lot of ums and uh and you know, like slang and stuff like that. So it's not really in there. So it's sort of inherently in the text already, um, how to speak. So I didn't really feel that I needed to like put too much, like I'm going to talk in a different way. See, like any of that sort of, <laughs> sort of thing, um, Shame. which actually would be really, really fun to do. <laughs> but, 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 um, I, yeah, I think, I think there can be this sort of false idea people really only spoke like that on television in real life. People didn't really talk like that. I don't, I mean, I don't think, but from what I, from what I gather. Um, 
So no, not, not particularly. I mean, I feel like the wardrobe and the set and so much of just the accoutrement of, of the, the, the space, et cetera, just really did so much of that work for us. Um, and then just making sure you're not slurring your words and, and speaking clearly, et cetera, I think is, is just really what I tried to kind of focus on. I'm always really interested with, um, with whether it's scary movies or something like this, a, a, a Halloween episode in an ongoing show, how, where the actors are trying so hard to make every beat as terrifying as possible. How do you mm -hmm. take the edge off between shots? What's the atmosphere like on set when the cameras aren't rolling? I mean, you just have to hang around with Raymond and it's, yeah. it's light and funny. Like he's, <laughs> we were it, to the point where sometimes, because you just get so comfortable with each other after a few days of working, it's filmmaking is such an intensely bonding experience that you start to just, you feel like family after even just a week of working with these people. So we were just like, I remember dying laughing and making jokes like right as Chris would be like action. And then we'd all have to like <gasps> be scared or like I was emotional a lot of the time. And, um, and so it, it's, it, it had a pretty light feeling to it, just sort of the set in and of itself. Like it's a real lovely, playful, um, place to go to work. So, uh, hopefully that didn't get in the way of the jumps and the, well, I don't think it did. I'm sure it's, it all came together great, but, um, but yeah, I've done my fair share of, of horror. And I actually find that those sets tend to be the most fun where people are like making the most jokes, maybe to sort of counter the intensity of like, Oh, you're chained to a bed and like blood's dripping from your eyes <laughs> or whatever the insane thing is that you're doing. Uh, there tends to be a lot of levity on those sets from what I've experienced. We're nerds here at the Quantum Leap Podcast, as long, uh, and as well as uh, <laughs> most of our listeners, I'm sure, would identify as nerds. So, of course, we uh, while we have you, we got to ask about Stargate Universe. You were such so amazing on that show. Uh, what thank was your experience you. like on that? Yeah, thank I you. I mean, that's a <laughs> lot to, to mm -hmm. get into. That was like two years <laughs> yeah. of... of of my young life um it was one of the most special experiences i've had i've i feel like i've had like three or four experiences in my career that have been so impactful and um special and just sort of different from the other experiences and that was one of them um we like that the cast of that show Speaking of family, we were so close. We would hang out on the weekends and take trips together um, and do all kinds of stuff. And oh, it was such a huge disappointment when we didn't get to come back and finish that story. Hopefully mm -hmm. at some point someone will write something. We'll be able to at least like wrap it up because we're all still floating in stasis pods in outer space. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um but yeah, it was, it was wonderful. Is there ever any talk between you all of like, maybe one day we'll do it uh, if, if it comes along? Or, I mean, oh, oh for sure. It... If, if it came along, I know I'm telling you right now, you can hold me to it. I would do it. 
I would totally do it if if someone, Brad or Robert, were like, we've written like a, a movie to sort of wrap the whole thing up. I totally would mm-hmm. do it. I think David Blue and I have mm-hmm. talked about that mm-hmm. a little bit. But um, but no, I think it's probably that thing where, you know, people have moved on to other things yeah. in their life. And you never know. You never know. I know that there was a Stargate movie coming out. Did it already come out or is it being made? I can't remember, but it didn't have anything to do with. Yeah, Stargate Universe is really one of my favorite shows. I, I love all of Stargate, but uh, Stargate Universe was really special to me. And uh, one of the episodes you were in and uh, was one of the best episodes, I think, of television of all time, of any series, is uh, the episode Time. That's one of the episodes that when I think back on that show, I think of filming because we were filming in rain for days. It's that episode, right? Mm-hmm. Where we're in this like mm-hmm. alien planet... And my character gets an alien through the chest. Do you remember that? Right? Okay, yeah. So funny story. When we, the whole uh, regular cast of SGU signed on to the show, we all were only guaranteed the first six episodes. Our contracts were such that they could drop us after the first six episodes. Um, I don't know why. That's like not really a thing that I've heard of happening but it was part of the deal. So everything's going along great. You know, we're all bonding as a cast. The show's a blast to shoot. Episode six comes along and Brad and Robert did not give any of us a heads up when they sent us the script for that episode. And in that episode, every single one of us dies. (laughs) (laughs) So we all thought as we were reading, I start reading it and like Chloe died pretty quickly with an alien through the Mm -hmm. chest. And I was like, Oh my God, I've been written off. Oh my God. Like they did this to to mess with us. (laughs) And, but then as it was going and everyone was dying and once they killed rush, the main character, I was like, okay, okay. This is some sort of like prank that they've pulled on us. It ended up obviously still being the episode, but it was one of those like solar flare sort of wormhole things. And we're all actually still alive in another universe. Um, but so anyway, that was kind of a nasty little prank that they played on all of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Halfway through that episode, I was like, "Well, they're going to have to undo all this because they can't go without half the people," you know. So, yeah, they've killed yeah. their entire main cast. It was very Game <laughs> of Thrones of them. Yeah. <laughs> Back then, they didn't do that kind of thing. So, no, yeah. they uh, didn't. Uh, yeah, yeah. I love that you love that episode. That was such a fun one to film. Yeah, just the whole series is great. The whole series is very watchable, mm-hmm. bingeable. I agree. Like a, thank you, thank you so much. I a a year or two ago, I did like a Stargate podcast. uh, This gentleman was was doing this thing where he's going back and talking about the episodes and whatnot, and he wanted to interview me about Air Part One and Part Two. So I watched them. I hadn't seen the show in ten years or something, and I watched it, and I was like, "This was a great show. It holds up. Like all this time later, the effects hold up." The content holds up. The acting holds up. I was like, yeah, I'm very, very proud to have been a part of that. The acting and writing were so good. It was about the people and the characters. So that's what makes shows great. So that's Mm -hmm. like how I first became aware of you. And I thought you were amazing in that show. And then later on, I was watching the originals. Can you tell us a little bit about the originals? You spoke a little bit about it earlier, but yeah, that was a great show. Yeah, because I worked with Chris. I worked with Chris on that. Mm Yeah, Mm -hmm. I would say that's one of the other ones that's like a pretty special um, 
was a pretty special experience. I got to go film in Atlanta, which I'd never been to before. Just absolutely mm-hmm. loved working out there. I think it's such a great city. Um, and I was so bummed when I got the invitation into the office and was told that I would be dying <laughs> the next mm-hmm. episode because I became very attached to everyone mm-hmm. there and was very welcomed into the into the fold. And I think that was an interesting job because I didn't know what it was going to turn into for me when I booked it. I thought it was just a guest star. I thought I was just doing one episode. And then I went and I, and then, and then I sort of heard like, well, you're going to be in a couple and then you're going to have this one really prominent episode. And then we don't really know what's going to happen after that. So I sort of prepared myself for like three episodes of, of work on this. And then luckily I think they just liked what was happening with Joseph and I and the chemistry and this dynamic that they, I think, I don't think they had the intention of turning me into sort of one of the villains in the back half of the, of that season, but it just sort of presented itself and they were like, Ooh, this is an interesting opportunity. This is an interesting place to go with this. So, um, so I ended up getting to play on it a lot longer than I thought I was going to which was a pleasant, very pleasant surprise and fun too. I think that might've been like my first sort of bad guy, my first sort of, but comp complicated villain. Uh, at least I can't, I can't think if I've done anything before that. So that was fun. That was fun for me to play. Awesome. I also wanted to ask you about, uh, your time on the Orville. I'm a big fan of the Orville. So, um, that's an interest. That's an interesting story. I, so that was my last in-person audition before everything shut down. Um, I think maybe it was like two weeks before the lockdown happened here in Los Angeles. And um, I, I heard maybe like a day into the lockdown, like you're, you're pinned for this job, but we just don't know. Nobody knows what's going on right now. Anyway, the pandemic unfolded. And then November of 2020, as things, as the industry had sort of started to get, you know, going again, my manager was like, Hey, can you do a slate for the Orville? Um, you're still up for that job that you were up for like all of these months mm-hmm. ago. So I, I did a slate, didn't hear it. A slate is, I don't know if you know what that is. It's just where you say like, hi, my name's Elise Levesque. I'm five, nine and I'm based in LA and they pan up and down your body. And yeah. Anyway, um, didn't hear anything for another two months was in Hawaii doing a, a job out there. And then I heard like, Oh, uh, it looks like you're going to get that job. Came back to LA, got a phone call to go and get, do prosthetics, did prosthetics, didn't know when I was going to be filming or any, like it was <laughs> because of COVID. It just sent so many things it, like so much was up in the air shows were shooting in sort of untraditional ways um, to accommodate the possibility of someone getting sick and having to shut down production, et cetera. Um, Anyway, so, and then obviously it just aired this past like July or June. Yeah, it wasn't that that long ago. It was like a two year, so it was like two (laughs) years almost of this this thing that I had gone in an audition for and it was just a guest star on something. It's not like it was like... (laughs) a massive studio film and they had all these like special effects to do and all these things. So that was kind of a, 
a crazy story and or a crazy uh, experience. Um, and then that was my first time wearing heavy prosthetics. Actually, that's not true. I did I did wear some pretty crazy prosthetics in a in a show I did called Masters of Horror years ago. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Where yeah, I yeah. was like. Yeah, where I I got mm-hmm. axed in the head and my face was mm-hmm. split apart. So mm-hmm. the my eyes were technically like over here. So I was blind <laughs> for a whole day on set while we mm-hmm. shot this sequence. I couldn't, so I had to be oh, led wow. around everywhere and like somebody <laughs> had to like sit me on the toilet. It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> um, and so um, I was like, at least with this, I can see. But then they put those contacts in you and you can't see. Mm-hmm. Those things are insane. I don't know how actors who have to wear those day in and day out, how they do it. Cause it took me like 30 minutes for my eyes to adjust to seeing again, once they would come out. Um, but anyway, once, once I was there and doing the job, it was great. Seth was lovely, super, uh, fun and easy to work with. And, um, it was such, such an efficient set to be a part of to be on it was pretty it was pretty surreal actually um yeah it was a fun fun job is there anything before we start to move towards a wrap-up um is there anything about the experience on quantum leap that we've not touched on any any other stories you'd like to share (sighs) oh gosh not off the top of my head I mean, I know we got into like telling ghost stories and stuff a bit. <laughs> it's in the theme of like Ooh. Halloween. We were all kind of like sharing little stories and stuff. I wish I could remember some of what what was shared, but that was like a fun little thing that we did. And um, can you remember the ghost story that you shared? Would you be able to I share that with us? So or? many. I have so <laughs> many ghost stories. I I don't even know which one to tell first. If um, I lived in a haunted apartment in Osaka um, when I was there modeling. And I was for like weeks experiencing just weird little things. In the middle of the night, it felt like my bed, something was shaking my bed. And then I had this little portable alarm clock and I would set it every night and put it beside my bed. And every morning I'd wake up and it would be knocked over. I was like, what is going on? It's, it's Japan. Like there's earthquakes. Is that what's happening? Um, and so then I asked my roommate, Linda, I was like, are you, is your bed shaking in the night when you're sleeping? And she was like, no, my bed doesn't shake at all. I sleep no problem. And I was like, are you coming over to my side of the room by chance? Like, cause my alarm clock keeps getting knocked over. And then it started to be knocked over and like moved. I went further and further away from the bed. And she was like, no, why would I come to your side? The door is beside my bed. Okay. Weird. Um, so this one night I had to get up really early to go do a job in, um, somewhere outside of actually, sorry, it was, this was Tokyo was where my apartment was haunted, (laughs) not Osaka. (laughs) Um, I had to go outside of the city to do a a modeling job. And so what they would do is they would print these long pieces of paper and they would have, you know, this was before iPhones. So they would have the directions in English and in Japanese. So if you got lost, you could like show somebody, maybe they'd help you. So I had this like pretty sizable piece of paper. I went to bed at like 930 because I had to be up at four, tacked it to the foot of my bed. The other girls, you know, I think I lived with like three other girls. They were all awake and in the living room. I'm laying there on my side and my bed is shaking 
doing its usual like shake thing. And I'm like, mm, just another night in Tokyo. And then I start to hear like paper cr- crinkling. And I was like, what is that sound? What is that? Roll over, not paying attention to it. The crinkling keeps happening. I sit up, I look up and I swear I'm not making this up. So it was tacked to the wall and it was like something had it and was pulling it like this, like trying to rip it off the wall. And I just watched for like a few seconds in absolute shock. Like I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And then I went, I kind of gasped. I went like, and it let go of it and it fell against the wall. And I jumped out of the bed and ran into the living room and was like, oh my God, and crying. And I told the girls what I experienced. And my roommate, Linda, who was like 13, burst into tears. And then this girl, Ludmila, who was older than us and she had stayed there before, she just very calmly <laughs> turned to me and went, don't you know this place? It's haunted. <laughs> I was like, what? She's like, yes, many other models, wow. they've experienced things here. I was like, what? Um, and then the next night it happened again. So on Monday I went into my agency and I was like, I need to move out. I can't live there. And they, I was like, it's haunted. And they didn't even blink. They were like, oh Yeah. We know. Okay. Yeah, we'll move you. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, there you go. Do, 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 do. Spooky season stories. Wow. <laughs> I'm not going to sleep tonight now. Thank you. <laughs> You're so welcome. You're so welcome. I've got lots more where that I came from. I asked for that. <laughs> you, did, you did ask for it. <laughs> a, a perfect ghost story for Halloween night. Yeah. Absolutely. There you go. There you go. So, we've. Um, We've talked a lot about the present, about what's uh, what's been happening with Quantum Leap. Um, we've talked about your your past roles. Um, can we look to the future now? Maybe is there anything that you've got coming up that you want to share with us? Any projects ongoing? Not a lot. I've got. I I just did an episode of NCIS, which aired a week ago, um, and then I did um, recently. There's this show up in Canada called Jan, and it's about. Um, this uh, Canadian musician, Jan Arden, she plays herself. And one of my really good friends um, created the show for Jan. And she, um, they're sort of doing their like end of the show special, which is going to be a Christmas special. And so um, I was just up in Canada doing that. It's, it's, a, it's a fun, quirky comedy sort of thing. And I played this very creepy photographer. Um, so that was a fun, challenging little experience. So I don't know when that will be out and I don't know if that will air in the States. I know that you could stream Jan on Hulu. I don't know if that's the case anymore, but, uh, so I've got that coming up. And other than that, just like hustling, trying to do some writing and producing and seeing where I can get some stuff going on that side of things. Fantastic. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that. Um, in the meantime, Thank you so much for your time, Elise. Thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> I'm so scared to come back from that. E. <laughs> <laughs> no, I go love ahead, that she was willing to share a scary story. That was that was sweet of her. Yeah, that was such a lovely interview. And um, Albie only joined at the last moment. Uh, that that was originally just going to be a solo interview, and then I happened to mention that. Oh yeah, this this is uh, she was in Stargate Universe, and Albie it, it suddenly clicked for Albie, 
who it was, and he and he realised he was a fan of a bunch of her stuff. So I I felt like he ended up leading a lot of that interview in the end, <laughs> awesome. unintentionally, uh, just because he was like, "I loved you in this, and I loved you in this." And I thought she was great in Quantum Leap, but that's the beginning and end of my knowledge. <laughs> Yeah, she was great in this episode. I don't know if I if I gave enough credit um to her acting in this because like mm-hmm. you know she played the villain in this, but uh, you felt some sympathy for her like even though that she helped murder people. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. um yeah, I felt like um yeah, she brought some some nuance to the character especially when she's yeah. doing the big explanation at the end about why she did what she did. Yeah, I, I thought it was a nice turn, and I'm just so happy that we got her on the podcast to tell us about the show and just to tell us that story. <laughs> yeah. Now that makes this a Halloween episode of the Quantum Leap podcast, so thanks, Elise. Mm. Right? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, speaking of thanks, like that segue, gang, I have to thank mm-hmm. some new patrons. Whoop, whoop. Yay! I have two people to uh, spotlight this show. The first is Jay Temple. Yay, Jay. Yay. Jay joins us at the $5 Leaper level, and that means he gets access to all of our bonus content as well as uh, his Quantum Leap Podcast Book Club bookmark. So, Good work, Jay. We hope that you enjoy all of that. Actually, I know Jay has been enjoying all of that because he's been going back and listening to all of our like first fangents and our first leaps elsewhere. Wow. And he's been leaving some pretty funny comments. So <laughs> yeah, so he's he's in there exploring all of that old content and I guess enjoying it. So thank you, Jay, very much for your uh, pledge of support. We're glad that you're liking what you're hearing so far. I'll be putting some more stuff up on the Patreon soon. I know it's been a little bit dry over there, but we've been kind of busy. So, but I do have stuff in the pipeline. So you'll be. Uh, hearing new stuff very soon um in addition to jay we also have another five dollar leaper supporter his name is sean ray you guys might have heard me mention sean's name on this podcast before i frequently guest on his podcast he does a couple of them um he's got that star trek podcast which i'm on quite frequently where they review all of the new trek and then when new trek is on all of uh, the old stuff and he also does cosmic potato the super fan talk podcast uh he co-hosts that with john irons who's been on the show as well john was on the after show with albie on youtube a couple of weeks ago so um they're all my friends over there the fact that sean has just decided to support us after all this time thank you so much sean um they're really good at what they do so if you want to hear some good podcasts when you're done with this one just look for i think their website is infinitepotatoalliance.com or you can just uh put that star trek podcast or Cosmic Potato into your podcatcher's search feature and it should come up. So a lot of good stuff. And if you're not, you know, if you're not sick of hearing me, there's a good chance you'll hear me, at least on the Star Trek one. So <laughs> thanks, well, Sean. thanks, Jay and Sean. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys, both uh, for becoming patrons. And speaking of patrons, you guys remember last show I had posed a question to one of our producer patrons, Mr. Charles Allen Gossard, who is pretty much an expert on the Civil War and costuming in the late 1800s, uh, to see what he thought of the costuming in Salvation or Bust. And sure enough, Charles wrote back chapter and verse what he thought of it. So. <laughs> Uh, I will start, and uh, we'll do our usual round robin, all right? Charles writes, The colors are indeed of the period. My fear was that the townspeople would be dressed in browns, grays, and yellows like a sepia-toned photo. Thankfully, I saw reds, purples, whites, greens, and even velvet. 
If they had money, people dressed very brightly to let others know they could afford the finer things. During the 19th century, Parisian fashions were looked upon as the height of style and grace, so the costumes were spot on for the period setting. The fact that the railroad company hired an outlaw and his gang to get the people out of town also tracks with real history. Mm. Railroad companies would hire wanted gunmen as railroad detectives, oh. hired muscle. They would indeed gun down anyone who got in the way. The robber barons usually got their way, and if blood had to be spilled, so be it. Take care, Charles. Oh, I feel like I'm learning Thank something. Yeah. Definitely yeah. a yeah. dangerous time, huh? <laughs> Wow. Yeah, thanks for uh, clarifying some of that stuff for us. This is what's great about Quantum Leap. We get to have these discussions and we get to learn stuff about history. Yeah. yeah right. And I mean, you can get gunned down even while wearing purple and velvet. So, Oh, you know, man. Well, you still look good when you, right. <laughs> when you get killed. <laughs> <laughs> you just wear colors that are complementary with the color of blood and you should be yeah. okay right to the end, right? So, yeah. yeah. Well, where you're you green. <laughs> green and red and you can be christmas you can go out ho ho hoing but thank you very <laughs> much charles for uh enlightening us i'm glad that they did get the costumes right because again i just thought it was too clean and bright but apparently i was wrong i have a, a skewed view of history i think everything needs to be dusty and gross but i think we all do <laughs> you don't have to be dusty and gross i think we've learned something today so that's one to grow on. If you would like to be like Charles and let us know uh, what you think about this episode or any other episode of Quantum Leap, there are many ways that you can do so. You can drop us a line at P.O. Box 542, Bayport, New York, 11705. You can get us by phone at 707-847-6682. You can email us at quantumleappodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash quantumleappodcast. You can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at quantumleappod. You can find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash thequantumleappodcast. And you can always go that extra mile like Jay and like Sean and like Charles and support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash quantum leap podcast and comment over there as well just remember that we may use your response on an upcoming episode of the quantum leap podcast and guys i know i just mentioned the p.o box but uh i i i need to bring up this amazing thing that happened today <laughs> i went to the p.o box to mail off um sean's bookmark and to mail off jay's bookmark and lo and behold there was a letter waiting in there and it was a thank you card from nan rissa lee whoa yes wow. Wow. Dang. <laughs> it's like look at us that's like that's just so incredibly nice of her yeah, to take the time to do that. That's amazing. Very much so. We had sent out, uh, just to give this some context for listeners that might not know, um, we had put together uh, gift packages for the entire main cast, as well as for Morton and for, for Deborah, um, with some Quantum Leap podcast swag in there, just to welcome them into the Leaping community and to you know tell them if they'd like to be on the show, here's how you contact us. And it was basically a naked grab to get people on the show. And um, I guess that Nanrissa got hers and she must have liked it because she gave us a nice thank you card in which she wrote, Hey, Chris, Allison, Matt, and Albie, thanks so much for all the great QLP swag. And then she gave us like a little smiley face with hearts for eyes. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I appreciate all of your support for the show and I'm looking forward to joining you on the Quantum Leap podcast, Nanrissa. Aww. Aww. 
That's so nice. Isn't it? It's just, I got a warm fuzzy. It's so, so indicative of how wonderful the entire cast of this new Quantum Leap has been uh, towards us and the show and just showing support for the mm. fan community in general. They're all just such genuinely, genuinely enthusiastic people and they want the show to succeed and I think they want to embrace the fan community as much as the fan community wants to embrace the new show. So thank you so much, Nanrissa, for sending that wonderful, thoughtful note and we will be speaking to Nan Rissa next weekend at some point, right, Matt? Yeah, yeah. Sunday, so, I think it is. Yeah. yeah. So um, we have Nan Rissa in the pipeline. We will be discussing it with her, and I will thank her in person for that wonderful little note. And um, yeah, you guys will be able to hear all of that very soon on the Quantum Leap podcast. But uh, while you're waiting, there is so much more content, so many more interviews that you can be watching because when you're done with this, you can go and watch the Quantum Leap After Show on our YouTube channel. Again, that's youtube.com slash the Quantum Leap podcast. And this one is going to feature the video version of the interview you just heard with Elise, right? And we also have additional interviews with Eddie Park, who played the chemist in the uh, Salvation of Bust episode, and Ted Monte, who played the sheriff who got gunned down in the street by those railroad detectives, by those thugs in Salvation of Bust. So, Matt, you, uh, you and Albie spoke to Eddie, did you not? Yes. Yeah, really great kid. Um, yeah, very, very thoughtful. Um, it, was, it was just one of those nice interviews where you could tell he was really putting in a lot of thought into everything he was sharing with us and, and obviously had a great experience on the set. He kept saying, you know, thank you for thank you for letting me come on the show and share my memories because it's just all coming back to me. So uh, yeah, it was a really nice interview. Um, very, very warming. That's great. And Ted Monty was great. I mean, he was a riot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you could tell he's 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 done a million things over, you know, such a long and colorful career in acting. So, just you, you could tell he's just loaded with stories and he brings such an enthusiasm to his interview with us. Uh, it's not to be missed. We had such a good time talking to him. Uh, Matt and I did that just yesterday. And uh, I'm still just yeah. thinking about some of the things he was saying and chuckling. So, you definitely want to check that out. Again, that's youtube.com slash the quantum leap podcast and wow we had mentioned this before we got the woohoo <laughs> <laughs> so good heading into episode eight matt tell us what we have in store episode eight stand by ben into a 16-year-old boy's body and finds himself among a group of outcast teens on the run. Ben relies on determination to guide himself and Addison to safety, leading to a shocking revelation as a significant piece of his memory returns. Oh, 
Ooh. She's going to yeah. learn that he wore Janko jeans. Significant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what those are, but they sound awful. They're giant pants. <laughs> cool. Cool. All right. Yeah. Why does it say guide himself and Addison to safety? Is Addison <laughs> yes. not safe? Like, I know they want to include her, but like, she's not there. <laughs> Maybe she is. Maybe she's one of the kids that he's escaped with. Ooh, spoiler oh right God. there. Oh, we're just going to have to wait to see. And the significant piece <laughs> of his memory, I'm sure it's going to have to do with some kind of big Janice reveal. We will find yeah. out next yeah. time on the Quantum Leap Podcast. Until then, I have been Christopher DeFilippis. I've been Allison Pregler. And I've been Matt Dale. And we'll see you next time. Ooh, Ooh. Happy Halloween! Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Quantum Leap Podcast, hosted by Allison, Matt, and Chris, with voice talent and contributions from Hayden McQueenie and Zoe Dean. To support the show, please go to patreon.com slash quantumleappodcast. The executive producer of the Quantum Leap Podcast is Albert Burge. Christopher DeFilippis and Hayden McQueenie are the co-executive producers. Special thanks to our producers, Chris, a.k.a. Brackmang, Mike Covert, Joshua Burwald, Jeff Kiska, Craig Riedler, Cosplay Dad, Charles Allen Gossard, and Morgan Felden. The thoughts expressed on this podcast are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those of the Quantum Leap podcast, its partners, or affiliates. The Quantum Leap universe and all it contains is the property of Belisarius Productions and Universal Television. The Quantum Leap podcast is not affiliated with Belisarius Productions or Universal Television, and no copyright infringement is intended. The Quantum Leap podcast is a barren space production. Halloween, baby! Oh, hell no!